As Christina shared with you a little earlier, this past week we spent some time canoeing and camping out at Laurel Lake. And uh, it really was a, a great time. As we laid in our hammocks, now I don't always just uh, lay around in a hammock, but when we go camping, you know, I'm going to do it right. So we stretched out our hammocks between the trees, and as, as we were laying out there in our hammocks, I was listening to the birds. And, you know, there was amazing, just all these different calls, but as I was listening, I realized that a large number of the calls that I was hearing were coming from one bird or from one group of birds, a whole bunch of different sounds, and you'll never guess what kind of birds I was listen, listening to. Crows. A whole flock of crows up in the trees over our heads. You know, some of the notes were kind of soft and low, just like they were talking, like they are having a little conversation. But then they'd be a caw, caw, you know. Someone may have spotted some danger. We were, we were canoeing down the lake and uh, a little bit later, and all of a sudden, we heard this commotion. It sounded like the forest was falling down. And I couldn't know what was going on. The crows were just out of their minds. And I looked up, and there was an osprey circling around over the trees. And about three or four crows dive-bombing this bird, trying to get... And they drove it away, by the way. But they, it, was, it was something incredible to see, to, to, to see the, the birds interacting and uh, like that. You know... I've always wondered, can the animals talk? I think, they, I think some of them can. And some of them can talk in some pretty amazing ways. The scientists have done some research on prairie dogs, and there's some scientists that will tell you that prairie dogs have the most complex language known to the animal kingdom. In fact, prairie dogs have a different word, or shall I say a different bark, for every different type of predator that might attack them. They, might, they have one bark that means coyote, they have another bark that means there's a hawk. Another bark that means there's uh, maybe a badger. There's every... And not only do they say what kind of animal is coming is about to attack them, but which direction it's coming from. And scientists have actually recorded their, their individual words or, or their, their chatter, and they play it back to a group of, of prairie dogs, and they'll take the appropriate action depending on whatever kind of... whatever word they said, whether it was coyote or hawk or whatever... It's amazing. The animals can talk. You know, the whole concept of speech, language, or words is a fascinating thing. By making some complex series of vocalizations, or for us as humans, marks on a paper, we come, come away with meaning, with ideas, with thoughts, with highly abstract information in many cases. Probably more than any, in fact, I'm sure, more than any animal of creation, we as human beings rely on speech and language to understand the world we live in, to interact with one another and with the world. Speech is probably the most important skill, one of the most important skills that parents pass on to their children from generation to generation. Perhaps the language that we speak is one of the first non-genetic traits that is passed on from, from a mother to her child. You know, when, we, when I take the Bible and I read the Bible, it tells me of a creator God, a God who spoke the world into existence by his very word. 
not an abstract, unintelligent force, but a real, living, intelligent being who filled the emptiness not just with matter, but with meaning. He filled it not with bloat, but with beauty, understanding, intelligent, and articulate life. The Bible tells of a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three co-eternal beings so tightly knit together that they work together as one. And as this loving God speaks within himself, he says among himself, he says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God stoops down and forms man from the dust. He imbues him with his own attributes, in his own likeness, and from the first waking breath, man hears, ringing in his ears, the word of God. That word, that creative power that spoke the worlds into existence, commands him, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, over every living thing. And from the beginning of time, from the earliest days of creation, the Bible records that God speaks to man. Adam and Eve grew accustomed to hearing the sound of their creator as he would come walking and talking with them in the garden in the cool of the day. But on that fateful day, when they disobeyed God, for the very first time, they ran from God's voice. God called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? From that day forward, man had became separated from the face of God. After that last conversation, mankind was expelled from the Garden of Eden. And never again has he beheld the unveiled face of his Creator. Yet, in God's mercy, though his face was veiled, mankind was not entirely cut off from the voice of God. Though man had rebelled from him, God still loved him. And in every age, God has made provision for you and for me to hear his voice. In an age of great wickedness, not long after the creation of the world, God spoke to another man, a man by the name of Noah. He commanded him to build an ark, a great boat, and, that, and by it, his immediate family and all of the animals were saved from the great worldwide flood. Once again, in the years following the flood, after the descendants of Noah had rebelled against heaven, God called to a man, a man by the name of Abram. Abram, who later became Abraham, was given the promise by God, I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In those days, we don't have a record that God spoke directly to every person in every generation. Because of sin, the communication between heaven and earth was restricted, as it is today. But the word of God, his commands, his promises, his blessings were passed down from generation to generation. We don't have writings today that date back to the time of Adam or the time of the flood or the time of Abraham even. But I imagine people's minds back then were a whole lot stronger than they are today. You know, today it just takes a, a few days, maybe a few minutes sometimes for our memory to get a little fuzzy, doesn't it? 
you hear the excuse, oh, I plumb forgot. Well, they didn't have that excuse back then. Their minds were pretty sharp. They could remember. People lived a long time, and they would pass down these these stories, these in vivid detail of the creation and of the flood from generation to generation. And the descendants of Abraham clung to the promise. One day, God will make of them a great nation. The promise was repeated to Isaac. It was repeated to Jacob. But by the time Jacob's descendants had spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt, they had well nigh forgotten their identity. They had forgotten God. They had forgotten his promises. So God raised up a man, a man by the name of Moses, who not only led them out of Egypt, but led them back to the God of their fathers. As Moses tended sheep in the wilderness, you know the story, he saw a strange sight. He saw a bush burning and yet not consumed. Though he didn't see anyone, he heard a voice speaking to him from the bush. The Word, the one who identified himself as the I Am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and gave him the command, the commission, to lead God's people out of Egypt. That was the first time we know of, but that was definitely not the last time that God spoke to Moses. Because for the next 40 years, as Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land, Moses had direct communion with God, with the God of heaven. Though he never beheld God's face, he spoke to God in a way that no other prophet has since that time. Through Moses, God gave an unprecedented gift to his wayward and forgetful people. Not only did Moses lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but Moses wrote down the story of God's of man's encounter with God. Moses wrote the very, the first 5 books of the Bible ever to be written. These first 5 books became the basis of instruction for God's people. A continual presence of the word of God now in written form, in a form that couldn't be changed, that wouldn't be easily forgotten. In its first book, Genesis, the stories of creation, the stories of the flood, the patriarchs, are immortalized. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy recount the early history of Israel as they were led out of Egypt. The account is written, of that moment in time when God spoke with his own voice, thundered, thundering from the top of the mountain, the Ten Commandments. These very words that God spoke were written down and preserved through the generations and are still with us today in God's written word. This, friends, is the story of the word. This is the beginning The word originates with God, for the word is God. The word originates with God in creation and continues through successive ages. In every age, God reveals himself to man. And that generation preserves the record of God's dealings with them for the instruction of future generations. It's a continuing history, a continuing revelation. Since the time of Moses, 
Many more books were added to the Old Testament. Books of history, books of poetry, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the major and the minor prophets. All of these were added to the Old Testament. But none of them took away from those first books written by Moses. They only added to and expanded the first experiences that are written down for our learning and admonition. Since the very beginning of time, God has spoken to us through his prophets. But most importantly, equally as importantly, God inspires people in every generation by his Holy Spirit. In the days of the prophet Elijah, at a time in Elijah's life when he was particularly discouraged, he fled into the wilderness to seek God at the Mount of Sinai. Wicked Queen Jezebel had issued his death warrant, and he felt he needed nothing but to hear God's voice speaking directly to him, to know that he was assured of God's favor. And you know what? God did come to him. God did speak to him right there on the Mount of Sinai. We find that story in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 11 through 12. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. You see, friends, it's not always in an earthquake or in a fire or in a thunderous voice from the mountaintop that God speaks to his people. No, in most of the time, God speaks to his people through a quiet, through a still, small voice, through the voice of his Holy Spirit. In Zechariah 4, verse 6, the Lord says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There's an important principle that we find here of how God communicates to men. And by extension, how we have received this written word of God. Peter says in the New Testament, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We learn two principles from this verse. First, that the prophecies and teachings of the Bible are here not because men and women wanted them to be here, they weren't made up as fairy tales, but because God willed for them to be written. So many people look at the Bible as nothing more than just a piece of literature. But the Bible is so much more than a piece of literature. Even by its own testimony, it is the inspired word of God. On the other hand, there are people who have the mistaken idea that the Bible is some sort of, shall we say, a, a magical book written down by the hand of God himself. That although the Bible writers' names may be attached to the different books, it was the hand of God that moved the pen, so to speak, dictating from heaven every word that must be written. Now, I'm, 
I'm, I'm making a subtle distinction here, but hear, hear me out. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, the idea that God himself wrote down every word of the Bible, it doesn't sound like such a bad idea. After all, we call it the word of God, right? Why shouldn't we just take it literally? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't take the Bible literally. But I think there's an important principle in these verses. Let's go back to that verse in Second Peter. It says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, according to this verse, who did the speaking? Talk to me. Who did the speaking? It says, holy men of God spake. It was men and women who did the speaking. But who did the moving? Who did the inspiration? Behind the men who wrote the Bible was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The distinction is very important. I'm not saying that the Bible is not inspired, because the Bible very, very clearly is inspired. It is the inspired word of God. But what I'm saying is the thoughts behind the Bible were inspired. The Bible writers perhaps chose the words that they could use, their, their own experiences, their own, their own ability to interpret what God was saying to them, and wrote it down in language that you and I can understand. Well, actually, they wrote it down in, in Hebrew and in Greek, and it's been translated into a language that we can understand. But why do I make this distinction? Why is it important? We'll, we'll kind of come back to this point in a later discussion. But let me digress here for a moment. Um, this, is the, this is the reason why it's so important to read every verse in Scripture in context. Even if we did believe, which we don't, that every word was literally, literally penned by the hand of God. Even if we did, it would be important to pay attention to the context in which he wrote it. But it's very easy for us in our, in our fast-paced life, in our fast-paced society, to take a word, a verse, a phrase from the scripture, pull it, lift it completely out of its context, and make it mean something that it is entirely opposite to what it means. We have a habit when we teach the teachings of scriptures, and I say we, many Christians do of other denominations. We as Seventh-day Adventists do the same thing all too many times. I call it proof texting. Here's what I believe, and here's a verse to prove it. Well, here's what I believe, and here's another verse that contradicts your verse, and my verse proves what I believe. But if we take the whole Bible, whether we're talking about what happens after we die, after a person dies, or the second coming of Jesus, or the Sabbath, or, or whatever topic, if we take the Bible and read it not for the individual words or the cliches or the mantras and the phrases that we can so easily say, but for the meaning the message that the Bible writer intended to place in it. We can understand not only the individual doctrines, but the entire meaning, the whole meaning that God intended for us to have. It comes alive 
with a new sense of understanding. And we and we discover that these little con- seeming contradictions, these places where it seems like, well, for example, one gospel says there were two demoniacs who came down to the Sea of Galilee when Jesus came across. The other gospel says there's one, which which is right. Well, when we're looking at the whole story, we realize these are eyewitness accounts. There's not a contradiction here. Two peop- two disciples saw two different things. One of them probably saw one, turned around, he was so scared, he didn't see the second one. <laughs> the scripture is inspired by God. It was written down by the hand of man, but it was nonetheless inspired by God. And we call it the word of God, because indeed it is. As we read the Bible, we see the personality and style of the individual Bible writers. Peter, the fisherman, didn't write the same way as Paul, the philosopher. Luke, the historian, and John, the theologian, take a dramatically different approach in their coverage of the same events, the same story of Jesus Christ. Often we find a different approach, different interpretations, Sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes even apparent contradictions. It shouldn't cause us to stumble, but it should increase our faith in the authenticity of the accounts that were recorded by so many and so diverse of writers. If the whole Bible read from beginning to end in exactly the same style, in exactly the same format, we would wonder, well, did did one person just sit down in their closet and write it? No, it reads in so many different styles, even different languages, that no one can question the authenticity of its books. God's word was spoken through his prophets. God's word was inspired through his spirit. But God gave another manifestation of his word to this world that surpasses all of these and makes even the angels of heaven stand in awe. You see that despite all the books that were written, even the prophets who lived their lives, preached their hearts out, in many cases sealed their testimony with their blood, even after all of this, God's people still didn't understand who God is. After Israel returned from captivity, they finally understood the importance of keeping God's law. They finally stayed away from idolatry, but they made their keeping of the law an idol in and of itself. They worshipped their own aspirations. They worshipped their, their pride and their, their desire for national sovereignty. They prided themselves in their own holiness. And they forgot the God who was supposed to be the object of their worship. So once again, God sent his word into the world. But this time, not through prophets, not through messengers, not through words, as we think of words, but by sending himself, his own son, the very same one who spoke to Moses through the burning bush. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we read the account, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God sent his word into the world, not in written form, not through messengers and prophets, but through the one Jesus Christ, a human being, in a form like you and me, one whom people could talk to, speak to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Just as the light of the sun surpasses the light of the moon, so the brilliance of this picture of Jesus Christ surpasses all types and symbols in the Old Testament. After Jesus ascended to heaven, his disciples and followers wrote down their first-hand accounts of their experiences with him. The God-man, Jesus Christ. The Gospels, the history of the early Christian church as recorded in Acts, the epistles of Paul and the other apostles, and finally the revelation of Jesus Christ is given through the Apostle John, over half a century later, these are what make up the New Testament of the Holy Scriptures. Like the Old Testament, these books are a record of God's encounter, of man's encounter with God. They aren't just a record of messages, laws, promises. They are a record of the daily life and teachings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his message to his followers given through his Holy Spirit. Friends, how can we begin to comprehend the magnitude of this gift that the God of heaven would send his only Son, the word of life for you and for me? Does it seem sometimes, friends, that the word of God is hard to understand? Friends, look to Jesus. Does it seem sometimes that the Bible has grown old and stale and dusty? Friends, look to Jesus. Does it seem that God perhaps is far from your life? That the prophecies have failed and the voice of the Spirit has grown faint? Friends, look to Jesus. Jesus knows and Jesus cares. He's been through it too. And he's right there beside you. The word of God, 
the living word, present even to this day in the person of his Holy Spirit. Jesus promises this to his disciples in John chapter 14, that if he would go away, he would send another comforter, that he might abide with us forever. God's word in written form, here with us today. Jesus Christ and his presence with us through his Holy Spirit. Yes, perhaps it may seem like an old, old story, but I want to encourage you, read it again. And as you read it again, as you allow him to speak into your life, you will find that old, old story of Jesus and his love coming to life again. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. But even more than that, Lord, you've given us yourself to come to this world, to live among us, to show us who God is. Lord, we cannot say thank you enough. But Lord, may each of us say thank you by giving our hearts to you by allowing you to write your old story anew in each one of our hearts. Bless us now as we go from this place. Cover each one with your protection until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.